When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're very much reactive to what's put in front of us every day. What you give power in your mind has power over you. That prison door locks from the inside. And that brings us to the big one. Here's the big one. This is number five, and I love this one. Hey, we are back for Living by Design. This is number three, actually. We've been talking about doing this the first Tuesday of every month. So this is the first Tuesday of March, and this is Living by Design number three. So if you've missed number one and two, of course, you can go into the library and listen to them. I decided to do this because so many of you have written in and said to me that, you know, boy, I wish I could just sit down and just have a conversation without necessarily having to deal with a story that you're talking about. I find the stories really interesting, and I'm going to keep watching, but sometimes without having to deal with a specific fact pattern, I'd like to just kind of talk about what your philosophy is that you bring to all of these stories you've been dealing with over the last 17 years, all the challenges, all the problems that you've been dealing with over the last 17 years on the air. And I decided to just really do that and talk about what my my philosophy is that I bring to those challenges I face. One of the things that I've talked about in Living by Design 1 and 2 is I think it's so important that we be who we mean to be and that we do it on purpose. Be who you are and do it on purpose. I don't want you to go through your life being reactive all the time and get to the end of your life and look back and say, did I wake up? and decide I'm gonna be who I'm gonna be and I'm gonna do it on purpose, as opposed to just reacting to what was put in front of you every day. You know, still in this mobile society, most people never travel more than 100 miles from where they're born. Most people do in their lives what their parents did or what their family does as a profession even in this highly mobile society. You know, they say Jesus Christ never traveled more than 50 miles in his entire life because everybody moved by foot or on mules or donkeys or whatever back then. But yet still today, we're very much reactive to what's put in front of us every day. And I wanna challenge that. I want you to live by design, and I mean your design. That's gonna happen in less than one minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the end of Living by Design number two, I challenge you to ask yourself if you're living authentically or are you living an assigned life? When I say authentically, I think every one of us has a purpose and a passion. And it's our job to discover what that is. Sometimes that's because it's what our strengths are, and we got to find what we're really good at, and that's what we need to do. Sometimes it's something that we just discover by casting about. I know you guys have all heard me say that my father was a really bad alcoholic, and I don't say that as a victim. It was what it was. As a result of that, in my formative years, Not one time did he ever take me fishing. Did he ever take me hunting? Did he ever take me camping? Did he ever take me to do any of those sort of things? And so I never had any idea, any exposure to see whether or not that was something that I was really interested in. When Robin and I had our boys, Jay and Jordan, I made it my life's mission to expose them to every kind of activity that I could possibly think of. Even though I didn't know anything about camping, I took them camping. And by the way, if you've ever not been camping, you want to be sure you set up your tent on a flat space. You don't want to be on anything that even has a six-degree incline. We camped the first time on the side of a hill, and I spent all night trying not to roll down the damn hill. I took them camping, I took them fishing, I took them hunting, I mean, everything. Bird hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting. I never pulled the trigger because I don't like to shoot things, but I exposed them to everything. You know, some of it stuck, some of it doesn't. Both of them love to fish. I took them scuba diving. I did everything I could to give them a chance to find out what they were authentically interested in and not have them do just what I did. Because that was for me, not for them. So I wanted them to discover. That's what I'm talking about. Do you know, as I've said before, are you doing what you're doing today? Not because it's what you want to do today, but because it's what you were doing yesterday. Are you doing what you're doing today because that's what has been put in front of you and you just got into the habit? You just got into the momentum of it. And that's why I've said, let's talk about how you got to be who you are. Now, I'm going to talk to you right now about some very important things that have to do with how you got to be who you are. I said there are some important numbers. One I mentioned to you before, I said, if you're 40 years old, counting leap years, you have lived 14,610 days. But those days don't all stick out. Most of them are like wallpaper. All your days run together. You know, tell me what you were doing on March 4th in the third grade. You don't remember that unless something really big happened. And what I want to talk to you about are three very important numbers, 10, 7, and 5. Ten defining moments, seven critical choices, and five pivotal people that you have met in your life. 
These 10 defining moments have had a profound impact on you, the seven critical choices you've made that have determined where you wound up today, and the five pivotal people that have written on the slate of who you are. There are moments which mark your lives, moments when you realize nothing will ever be the same, and time is divided into two parts, before this moment happened and after this moment happened. That is a defining moment. It's something that occurred where you are one way before it happened and a different way after it happened in a lasting way that changed you forever. They wrote on you an indelible ink. Nothing could erase it. And if you're an adult, I promise you there are 10 of those things that have happened in your life, 10 moments that changed you. Maybe it was a positive moment. Maybe it was a negative moment. Maybe it was just an awakening. But I can promise you there have been 10 moments in your life where something happened that changed you. Maybe it was the death of innocence. Maybe it was something that awakened you to the way the world worked. Maybe it was something that caused you to have a light bulb come on over your head. Maybe it was a loss you suffered or something that you achieved and something that you gained. But there was a moment in your life that changed who you were. And that is what I call a defining moment. It's not like any other moment in your life. I'm going to ask you to make a list. I want you to start writing down, and all this is going to be on the website afterwards. I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself so you can figure out what's a defining moment and what is not. I'm going to give you questions that are going to help you think your way through that. And you're going to start out with maybe a list of 20 or 30, and then you're going to start paring it down and say, well, now, wait a minute, this one doesn't stay on the list because this one's more important than that one, and this one's more important than that one. And you're going to figure out what those 10 are. These are going to be very important by the time we get through talking today, but just realize there are 10 moments in your life that have had a profound effect on who you are as you're listening to these words right now. And then there have been seven critical choices. And here's how the critical choices differ from the defining moments. Defining moments can happen whether you're doing anything or not. You can just be sitting there and it happens. You can just be sitting out on the curb and your house burns down and everything in it. And that's a defining moment in your life. With a critical choice, you make the choice. You're now active. You're now affirmatively choosing something. You step up and say, I'm either going to college or I'm not. I'm either going to get married or I'm not. I'm either going to have sex at 14 or I'm not. You made choices along the way, and seven of those choices have been critical in determining who you are right now. And think about it as we're talking here. The first few will come very quickly. They will be real clear for you. Like for me, I said my father was an alcoholic, and I made a decision really early on. I just wasn't going to drink. I just said, you know what? I've seen this brilliant man, this great athlete. I mean, you should see pictures of my dad. I'll put one on the website. When I was first born and he was just getting out of college and just being a football coach, you talk about a stud. This guy could run through a brick wall. 
And I looked at what it did to him. And I made a critical choice right then. And I said, you know what? I'm just not going down that road. So I'm a teetotaler. And I don't judge people who drink. I don't think I have a friend that doesn't drink and very few of them to excess. So I'm not saying that judgmentally about other people. I don't think there's anything wrong with almost anything in moderation. But for me, I made that critical choice. And I'm glad I did. It worked for me. That probably wasn't one of your critical choices. That's okay. But that was a critical choice for me, and I made it over 50 years ago. So you've got to ask yourself, what are your seven critical choices? Was it to get married? Was it to have children? Was it to get a job instead of go to college? Was it to go to college instead of get a job? Was it to walk into a building with some friends when you knew they were going to rob the place? Was it to go somewhere with somebody when you knew they were going to do drugs? What was it? What were the critical choices you made? Was it to accept Christ as your personal Savior? Was it to start a family? Was it to marry this guy instead of that guy, this woman instead of that woman? What was the critical choice? And this is going to be real important, and you're going to have to learn what makes it critical. What makes it critical is that it had a lasting impact on who you are as you're listening to this podcast, as you're listening to me talk right now. Because had you not made it or had you made choice B instead of A, you would be a different person than you are right now. And then the third in this trilogy are the five pivotal people that you've met in your life. Five people that have been so pivotal that they have written on the slate of who you are. Five people that had such a profound impact on you. Five people that wrote on the slate of who you are that it affected your self-worth, your self-esteem, your definition, your confidence, what you did in your life, how you feel about your life. And these people, maybe they were pivotal in that they were positive. Maybe they were pivotal in that they were negative. And maybe they were both. Maybe they were profoundly positive and they were also profoundly negative. I've talked to many women whose fathers were profoundly positive in their lives until he molested them. And then he became the most negative, pivotal person in their entire life. But yet, they cannot forget what he did for them up to that point. I sat recently and had an interview with the BTK killer's daughter, and BTK stood for bind, torture, and kill. And here was this man that was one of the most feared serial killers in history, but he took her to the lake. He took her camping. He went to her school programs. He did everything with her. And the day she found out, that this predator in their community that she was afraid of every night was the very man she was sitting down at the dinner table with. And now that he is such a feared and horrific force in her life, she will tell you to this day that she still remembers him as daddy before she found out that he had murdered families and raped and tortured women horrifically. So a person can be both positive and negative. But who are the five pivotal people in your life? And 
probably one or both of your parents will be on that list. Those are easy, and maybe you don't even want to put them on the list to begin with because those are kind of givens. But who else had a profound effect in your life? I can tell you for me, I moved to Kansas City when I was a sophomore in high school, and I went to a very large high school. And a lot of these kids had grown up on the football team. They'd played together in Pop Warner. They'd played together in junior high. You now call it middle school. They had just grown up together. They had been all as a unit. And then here comes this kid from out of town. And this kid from out of town doesn't fit in. And here I was, the outsider. But yet, there was one coach that paid attention to me. For some reason, because I mean, I was like way down. I started out like on, I don't know how many strings there were, 30, 40, whatever it was, I was on the bottom. And I remember the day he said to the head coach, he said, you ever going to put this kid in there? He's caught every ball you've thrown within five yards of him in drills and you've never let him run it down. And had he not done that, had he not gotten me in that lineup, I would have never had a chance to play. And I needed that currency because I was an outsider. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any way to fit in. And as the next two or three years went by, he turned out to be a profound influence in my life. He was a protector of mine. He was a mentor of mine. He kept me in high school even after The football season is over your senior year. I swear I would have dropped out because I was bored with school. It had nothing to offer me. I had no interest in it. But he made sure, even though he had no use for me, he had already transferred to another school. He was doing something else. He made sure I got up and went to school every day. He made sure that I stayed the course. I didn't get along with the head coach. I didn't get along with some of those guys that were in power at the time. When it came time for recruiting, he got together with me. He got together with my parents, and he sent my tapes out. He was a pivotal person in my life. I respected that man. He taught me about hard work. He taught me about integrity. And here was a guy that just out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of athletes, he reached out to this kid from out of town and had a profound impact and made me feel good about who I was, made me believe in myself on that football field, made me believe in myself as a student, made me believe in myself as someone that had a future. was Coach John Davis, Shawnee Mission North High School in Kansas City. A fine man and a fine football coach. He eventually went to Shawnee Mission South. And I stayed in touch with him. I stayed in touch with his family after he recently passed away. A pivotal person in my life. So who were they for you? For me, my father was both positive and negative. You know, I've said he was a bad alcoholic, which role modeled a lot of bad things for me. But at the same time, he was one of the hardest working people in my entire life. I never saw anybody work as hard as he did. When he was sober... There was no machine gun nest he wouldn't charge. There was no hill he wouldn't climb. There was nothing he wouldn't do to provide for his family. There was no task that would intimidate him. And as you think about the people in your life, know this, 
There is a purpose for everyone you meet. Some people come into your life to test you, some to teach you, some to use you, and some to bring out the very best in you. It's your job to know the difference. And as you go through all the people that you've encountered, all the people that you've come to know, figure out who these pivotal people are. Now, why is this so important? Why am I spending so much time on getting you to figure out what have been the 10 most defining moments in your life, the seven most critical choices you've made, and the five most pivotal people you've ever met? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because these are the external factors that have shaped the identity of who you are. You know, we talk about self-worth, self-esteem, identity, but we always talk about it in the abstract. We don't break it down in terms of how we got to be that way. You know, maybe you go through life angry. Maybe you go through life with a chip on your shoulder. Maybe you go through life managing people by intimidation. Maybe you're a people pleaser. Maybe you go through life just whatever it takes Tell people what they want to hear. Go along. Don't assert yourself. Don't make waves. Because maybe if you don't make waves, people will let you stay around. So I don't know. Everybody has a philosophy. Everybody has a way of staying in this world. But we never know exactly why we are that way instead of some other way. Some people are leaders. Some people are followers. Some people are supporters. Some people are those that just have to be out front and be the center of attention. But it's critical that you understand why you turned out to be the person that you are, the personality that you are, why things that matter to you matter and things that don't matter to you don't. If you're listening to this and right now you've got two kids and your mother or father are raising them, Their grandparents are raising them instead of you because you're into drugs and alcohol. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why other people you went to school with, finished college, got a career, driving a nice car, wearing nice clothes, giving money to charity, making contributions to their community, and you, on the other hand, are sucking the life out of everything that you touch? Or maybe you're the one that's a constant giver. And you're looking at these people over here that are just takers. They just bleed society. They come in the room and it feels like somebody left. Everybody talks about it, but nobody understands how you got to be that way. When you identify your 10 defining moments, seven critical choices, and the five pivotal people that have written on the slate of who you are, you're going to begin to understand how you got to be who you are as you're listening to my voice right now. And that is critically important because it's going to unlock the mystery of whether or not you are living who you are authentically meant to be or if you are living an assigned life that you were expected to live, that your parents wanted you to live, that your family expected you to do, that life just expected you to do. If your dad was in the pipe fitters union and you were just expected to get in the pipe fitters union when you grew up. If your mother was a nurse and you were just expected to be a nurse. Is it what you really wanted to do? 
Is what you're doing right now what you really want to do? And here's the biggest danger. What if you spend your entire life working to achieve something you don't want? What if you become the best architect in your state and win all of these architectural awards and you get to the end of your life and somebody says, congratulations, you lived your life and became the best architect the state has ever seen. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but it isn't even almost what I wanted to do. I didn't give a damn about architecture. It was just kind of assigned to me by life. I took an aptitude test one time. They said, you're good at drawing buildings, and I became an architect. But it isn't what I wanted to do. It was what I was expected to do. I don't want that to happen to you. And this breaks down the external factors that shape you like cattle going through a chute. You got a big herd of cattle out on an open range. You got all these cowboys driving the herd, and they're driving them into a chute, and they all pass through that chute so they can be counted. Have the external factors in your life been driving you through a chute? Are you doing what you really want to do, or are you being driven through a chute? You know, we all live to a script. I live in Hollywood now, so scripts are all around me. How about you? Do you have a script for your life? And if you don't, You should have, and I can tell you where this living by design is all headed. It's all headed to me challenging you to star in your own life. I want you to star in your own life, and I don't know if you're going to be a school teacher or an auto mechanic or a skydiver or a movie actress or a doctor, a lawyer, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. I don't know. But whatever it is that you are authentically called to do, you have to decide, I want to star in my own life. I want you to walk on the red carpet of your life. I want you to be a star in your life. Ask yourself, do you feel like a star in your life? Because if you're not starring in your life, somebody is. Every life, somebody stars in that life. And if it's your life, you ought to be the star. I promise you I star in my life, and I starred in my life before I got on television. I was a trial scientist before I did this. I worked in the court systems. I worked picking juries and doing trial strategy and that sort of thing. And I guarantee you I felt like a star in what I was doing there. I worked at it. I devoted myself to it, and I studied it, and I honed my skills, and I did all the things that I felt like I needed to do to be the best at what I did. And maybe I was, maybe I wasn't, but I believed that I was, and I had the confidence that I was, and I felt like a star. It's not about being cocky. You don't even need to tell anybody else that you're the star. You just need to know that you're the star. And here's what that entails. You're going to look at this 10, 7, and 5, and you're going to say, okay, Looking at those defining moments, I understand why I am the way I am. And I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about what you can do to change that if you want to change it. Maybe some of them you like, you want to keep. Some of them you want to change the influence they've had on you. But we have to know them 
in order to operate on them, in order to change the influence if we want to change it. But you first have to understand it. When you look at the 10 defining moments, you go, oh, now I understand the reason I am the way I am in social situations. Now I understand the reason I behave the way I do in my career. Now I understand why I act the way I do when I'm under stress, when I face a crisis, why I react the way I do when people give me compliments, whether I accept them gracefully and say thank you or whether I go, oh, no, you know, you just can't take a compliment. I want you to understand why you do the things you do in the different walks of life. And once you see what your defining moments have been, you're going to go, oh, Now I see that. You look at your critical choices, you're going to go, I didn't get here by accident. I made choices that landed me here. And here's the good news. I can make seven new critical choices. And these five pivotal people, they've written on the slate of who you are, but you know what? You've got an eraser. And here's what that requires. If you're not going to be a prisoner of your 1075, you've got to make two decisions. One is you've got to make a decision that you're going to live authentically. And to do that, you're going to have to assess where you are. And I'm going to put a test on the website. And that test is called the congruency test. And the congruency test is going to ask you, if you were living your authentic life 100%, which nobody does that. I mean, we all have to do things we don't want to do. But it's going to ask you, if you were living your authentic life, what you wanted to do, what you were passionate about 100%, what would that entail? And there's a way that I have to get to that. You'll see when you get there. And then it's going to ask you, okay, now give me the descriptors of what your life is really like. And we're going to compare the two and the difference is how much incongruency there is between the way you're living and your authentic life. You have an authentic self and you have a fictional self. And the fictional self is what you've been assigned. The authentic self is what you want to do. And I'm going to help you determine that so you can see how congruent am I being with what I authentically want to do. So I said you got to do two things. One is to figure out how authentically you're living. And here's the other. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. And everybody has a comfort zone. I've touched on this just very briefly before, but think about it. We tend to do that which makes us comfortable. And everybody has a comfort zone, a life, a lifestyle that's comfortable for them. Largely, it's driven by income. We're very income stratified. If you get somebody that makes $100,000 a year, they live in neighborhoods where people that make $100,000 a year live. If they make $50,000 a year, they live in neighborhoods where people that make $50,000 a year live. They have friends that make $50,000 a year. They drive cars that people who make $50,000 a year drive. And you know what? They are targeted by the retail machine with ads for things that people who make $50,000 a year buy. Trust me, Kmart, Walmart, 
They don't send ads to the same people that Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus send ads to. They don't. Now, you may think that's fair or unfair. You may think that's stereotyping or whatever, but I'll promise you, if you don't think Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue look at the zip codes they're sending ads to and look at the value of the homes and the demographics of the income, I promise you they do. They send different ads to different parts of the town. They just know what the buying patterns are. And you know what the number one thing is that keeps people in their comfort zone? You say, well, you just said they get comfortable. Well, the number one fear in all people is you're filling in the blank, failure. Really, it's rejection, which is just kind of synonymous with failure. Because think about this. If you go out into the world and you offer your skills, you offer your services, you open a business, you go for a job, you're turned down, you fail, the world says, I don't want to buy your goods, I don't want your services, then they're rejecting you. They're saying, I don't want what you have to offer. And you say, well, I failed. Well, yeah, they've rejected you. They said, I don't want your skill set. I don't want your abilities. I don't want what you have to offer. So you would think that that's the number one thing that keeps people in their comfort zone, but it's really not. Research tells us something different. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Research tells us that what keeps people in their comfort zone is the pressure that if they reach out of their comfort zone and do better, that now they're expected to keep it up. Because remember what I said? People that make 50000 a year have $50,000 a year friends, houses, cars, and buying patterns. And all of a sudden, they reach out of that comfort zone, they require more themselves, and they make 75 a year. Now they're expected to wear different clothes, buy different cars, get a bigger house, maybe have different friends. And now their fear is, can I keep it up? So a big part of the comfort zone is not just the risk of failure when you reach out of the comfort zone. There's also fear of success. What if I do better? Now I got all the pressure to keep it up. So there's fear of success and there's fear of failure. What's keeping you in a comfort zone? I'll tell you, a bird sitting on a tree is never afraid the branch is going to break out from under them because they trust not the branch. They trust their wings to be able to fly away if the branch breaks. The bird never trusts the tree. The bird trusts their wings. They don't know anything about comfort zones because they're just birds. They know how to fly. So when you look at your 1075 and it tells you that's why you are where you are, then you've got to say, is that okay? Is that my authentic self or, or am I being incongruent and I want more things? And it's not just about money. You know, I've always said the only thing worse than being in a bad relationship 
for a year is being in a bad relationship for a year and one day. You don't want to be in a bad relationship, right? But sometimes we get in a comfort zone and we'll just stay in a bad relationship. Why? Because we're already in it. We don't want to be in it, but we were in it yesterday, and it's just easier not to deal with it. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. Now you've made each other miserable. And then you got really stupid and had children. You knew you weren't happy, and you decided, well, let's just have children, and then maybe that'll fix our problem. So now you got a kid born with a job. How idiotic is that? So instead of dealing with reality, you stayed together because you didn't want to face it, and now you had a child, so now you brought somebody else into the situation. How dumb is that? There are comfort zones other than just money. And to get out of your comfort zone, you've got to be honest with people about who you are, what you want, and how you expect to be treated. Standards only scare off people that are not meant for you. If you don't put standards up because you think, oh, if I, you know, they let me stay as long as I'm low maintenance, but if I start requiring things from people, they won't let me stay, then those people aren't meant for you. You get out of your comfort zone relationship-wise, one day you will meet the right person, and then suddenly your health will improve, closed doors will open, new relationships will blossom, goals will be reached, and prayers will be answered. Things will start to happen because you're not in a comfort zone relationship-wise. The minute you realize your worth, you shift your energy to attract the people who respect your worth. But it starts with you first. You've got to get out of your comfort zone with you first. That's the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life. So if you're going to start reshaping things, once you realize what your 1075 has done, who this has made you turn out to be, you'll never change it if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, relationship-wise. Even in your relationship with God, you, you've got to be willing to say, you know, God, I'm I'm willing to talk to you. I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to say I'm so unworthy. I won't even pray to you. You've got to be willing to say, you know, God loves everybody, including me. I'm willing to put myself out there and say, God, I'm worthy of your time. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to pray to you. So it's for your spiritual relationship and your worldly relationship. No one is ever too busy. You're just not important enough. If whoever you're with is just not, they just don't have time. They say, oh, they're just too busy. They're not too busy. You're just not important enough. And you have to acknowledge that. I'll tell you, one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life is letting people stay in my life far longer than they deserve to because I was in the comfort zone relationship-wise. The challenge I'm putting in front of you is you need to learn the difference between what you're getting and what you deserve. Think about what I just said. You've got to learn the difference between what you're getting and what you deserve. And it all begins and ends in your mind. What you give power to has power over you. We all live in this social platform world now. If you give power to whether you have a lot of likes or dislikes, if you give power to that in your mind, then it has power over you. You know, I live in the public eye. I'm in front of millions of people every week, every day, every week. I mean, it's like 35, 40 million people a week. And they grade my paper every day and they publish the grade. 
It's called the overnights in Hollywood. They publish the overnights. They watch your show. They count up all the people that watched it and they publish that every day. So they grade my paper every day and publish it for the world to see. And then I have all these message boards and all these places that people go and they render their opinions on what kind of job I did, the job I did and how well they think I did it and how much power that has over me and how I feel about myself is a function of how much power I give that in my mind. And fortunately, I'm not one of those people that needs to be loved by strangers. I do what I think and believe in my mind and heart is the right thing to do. Is it always right? Of course not. Hell no. But it's always in good faith. And if it's wrong, I just do it over. But I promise you, somebody's going to have a problem with what you do, no matter what you do. So you might as well do what you want to do. And that means getting out of your comfort zone. It means requiring people to treat you with dignity and respect. It means you're going to ask for what you want. You're going to get what you deserve instead of just what's being handed out to you. So those are the external factors that determine who you turned out to be and whether you're living authentically or whether you're not. The external factors, your 10 defining moments, your seven critical choices, your five pivotal people, identify what they are and then look at them and say, wow, how has that affected who I am today? It's really harder in this day and time because we get such immediate feedback because of social media. And you have to remember that you're a role model, particularly if you're a parent and you have kids, they're really into this social media. You may not be so much into it, uh, although I bet you probably are, but I can promise you your kids are. I mean, even if your kids are 25 or 30, and certainly if they're 15, 16, 17, they're into social media, and there can be some defining moments created on social media, and there can be some critical choices that involve social media. I've been to Capitol Hill to testify for reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, and they were wanting to know what my thoughts were about allocating money to cyberbullying because so many kids were being impacted by cyberbullying. You know, I said, I'm not one of those people that needs to be loved by strangers. Well, how about you? How about your children? I mean, if you're somebody that needs to be loved by somebody you don't even know, then you need to really look at your 1075 and look for what is it that's happened in your life that has made you vulnerable, that has made you hungry for the approval of people that you don't even know. Look, I'm not saying I don't want everybody to love me. Everybody wants everybody to love me. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you went to the cafeteria and everybody stood up and applauded? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if you pulled up to a red light and everybody got out of their car and started cheering you on? That you did a great job stopping. Wow. That'd be great, but that's just not the way it works. Not, not everybody loves you. Not everybody even notices you. And then you get people that are internet trolls, and they just spend their time picking on people. I've dealt with so many stories where kids are cyber-bullied to death. That would be a defining moment, wouldn't it? And a critical choice to stay plugged into that crap and listen to people bullying you and picking on you. Those are the kind of critical choices that we face today that weren't even in existence when I started doing Dr. Phil. Things have changed. But what I'm asking you to do is, okay, go, go look. And by the way, I'm not assuming you don't like yourself. What I'm saying is you need to know how you got to be who you are whether you like yourself or whether you don't, because it's important. 
that you understand your makeup. And nobody's perfect. Everybody has room to improve. Everybody has room to grow. And we all improve with clarity and understanding. These external factors have written on the slate of who you are. And when you go through these, you're going to pick out some things that you go, wow, that has eroded my confidence or that has made me suspicious or paranoid or vulnerable or oversensitive, whatever it might be. So I want to talk to you now about a five-step plan of how to change that. And it's very doable. The first thing you have to do is isolate the target. What is it? Out of your 1075, pick one thing. Let's not try to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Let's pick one thing to start with. Let's isolate a target. What is it that has happened to you that has left a negative impact? It's eroded your confidence. It's made you question yourself. It's caused you to stay in a comfort zone. It's kept you from reaching your full potential. Whatever it may be, it was a defining moment, a critical choice, or a pivotal person that somehow or another has left you being less than you wish you were. It's kept you from being authentically who you are. Let's identify what it is. And then, and this gets a little bit into internal factors, which we're going to talk more about last time, but I introduced this concept last time, and that's it's that of internal dialogue. What are you saying to yourself about it? You, you, you have to deal with that. And you remember last time I told you you have to test your thoughts for rationality. Well, you you test them for rationality, but you test them for authenticity as well. Is what you're doing as a product of that 1075 event authentically what you want to do? If you're working as an office worker, if you're working as a teacher, if you're working as a, a pilot, if you're working as whatever... The third step is, is what I'm doing as a product of what I have identified authentically what I want to do? I mean, is this really what I want to do, or am I just doing it because it is expected? And the fourth step is what I call AAA. It is to generate an authentically acceptable alternative. AAA. AAA behavior here. This isn't thinking, this is behavior, triple A behavior, authentically acceptable alternative. If you aren't going to continue doing what it is you're doing because of what was written on the slate of who you are, what could you authentically do that would be an acceptable alternative? If it's made you a people pleaser, if it's made you stay in a relationship because you just don't want to assert your real needs, what would be an authentically acceptable alternative. And you might say, you know what, (laughs) Dr. Phil, I just don't like being a prisoner to these four children. They own me. Well, okay, one thing you could do is say, okay, kids, uh, let's get in the car. We're going for a ride. You could take them to the mall, drop them off, and never go back. Okay, that would be one alternative, but it's not authentically acceptable. Abandoning your children might fix that problem, but it's not authentically acceptable. So what you have to do is redefine the relationship within acceptable terms. Abandoning your children, while that might seem like an interesting fantasy when they're all giving you all kinds of hell, that might seem like a fun fantasy in the moment, but it is not authentically acceptable because that's not who you are. So what you have to do is say, how can I redefine this relationship? How can I stop being a slave to them? You stay in the relationship, but you redefine it where 
your rights get asserted instead of just their rights being assertive. And that brings us to the big one. Here's the big one. This is number five, and I love this one. This is where you generate an M-E-R, an M-E-R, as in minimal effective response. You figure out what is the least thing I can do that is effective. Minimal effective response. We don't need to kill mosquitoes with shotguns. What is the least thing I can do that will change the situation in the direction of authenticity? Now, let's talk through an example that might be helpful. I've always said to people that you should not let the sun set on you another day if you haven't said and or done everything you need to say and or do with the people that mean something to you in your life. I say that because we take life for granted. We assume that tomorrow or this weekend, we can go tell mom and dad that we love them and appreciate what they've done for us in our lives, that we can tell our spouse how much they mean to us, or our children, or our best friend, or our brothers or sisters. But the truth is, we're not in control of that, and we don't know if you or they will be alive at the end of this sentence. I don't know that I will be alive at the end of this sentence. We don't know that. And that's why I always say, if there's something you need to say, if there's something you need to do, do it. Do it now. Because there may not be a tomorrow. Now, you may think that sounds awfully morbid, but the fact of the matter is it's not. You know, I've talked about my dad, and I, I did practice what I preach in that regard, and I did get to say the things I needed to say to him before he passed. Some of it was offloading some feelings and and venting, and some of it was telling him how much he had meant to me and what he had taught me. Maybe one of the critical choices you have on your list is that you didn't do that until it was too late. And you may be thinking, well, Dr. Phil, I wish that we had had this conversation a year ago, but sadly, uh, my mother or father has passed, and so I don't have that opportunity. Well, you know what you do? You do what you can. Maybe you write them a letter. Maybe you go to the cemetery and you read it. Maybe you tell it to people who love them. I don't know. You find that minimal effective response. Maybe your father hurt you and is still alive. And you say, well, okay, I could go over there and march into his office or the shop where he works or whatever and Tell him, nose to nose, you son of a bitch. Well, okay, that might be a shotgun with a mosquito. Take it in stepwise fashion. What is your minimal effective response? Maybe he's who you need to write a letter to. You first write the letter. Then ask yourself, do I need to mail it? And if you mail it, maybe that's enough. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is to forgive people who never even knew they transgressed against me. And I never even told them I was forgiving them. I just did it. That was my MER. I just needed to do that in my heart. I didn't need to tell them. But if I needed to tell them, I would have. 
So what are the five steps here? I said, you know, you go through your 1075, and if there's something on there that you say, okay, that right there, that has written on the slate of who I am. That has made me different than I wish I authentically was. Step two is you audit what you're saying to yourself about it. And then step three is you test whether the result has been authentically rational. Is what you're saying and doing authentically rational? And then AAA, what is your authentic, acceptable alternative? If you don't want to continue doing that, what can you do that's authentic to you that is acceptable? And then what's the MER, the minimal effective response that's going to let you out of prison? Because what you give power in your mind has power over you. That prison door locks from the inside. It doesn't lock from the outside. It locks from the inside. The first Tuesday of April, I'm going to talk about the internal factors that determine who you are and how you got to be that way. Today, I've talked about the external factors, the 1075. These are the external factors. I'm going to put on the website a congruency test so you can determine whether you're living your authentic self or your fictional self. I'm going to put on there how to test each of the 1075 to determine whether or not it has written on the slate of who you are in a negative way. And I'm going to put on there the five steps that you need to go through to change that so you can move towards authenticity. And something I've noticed already, this is just the third one of these that I've done, this Living by Design series, but there is a real community building out there around this. I have got so many emails and calls and people stopping me on the street and people in the audience at the show. We are building a community here, and I do want to hear from you. So please, you can post on the website. You can get messages to me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and tell me what your questions are, and I will answer them. I'll curate those things. We'll put them into categories, and I'll answer them because I'm so thrilled that we're building such a community out there around this. I'm excited about that. And I want to hear from you. And I want to know if something I've said is not clear, is something you want to hear more about, just let me know. If you've got specific questions, let me know and I'll answer them. I'm very excited to be doing this Living by Design series as part of Fill in the Blanks. We're going to continue to have some really fun interviews. I think next up, we've got Charles Barkley. I sat down with him in Atlanta where he was doing his TNT show down there. And uh, we had a hell of a good time. And I think you'll learn some stuff about his philosophy about being a champion. I think you'll have some good laughs. He is a character and a half. Chuck will make you laugh, I promise. Uh, we'll have a good time and you'll learn some things. So I'll uh, be looking for you next Tuesday. Hit your subscribe button so these things will drop every time we put them up. Tell a friend. Give us a five-star rating. We appreciate that. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>